So welcome everyone to uh, the um, Quant Financial Engineering Podcast. I have uh, with me today uh, three uh, students of the uh, Master in Financial Engineering that uh, will be graduating pretty soon. Uh, and they are working on the most interesting project. And the reason I'm saying it's interesting, A, because we're quite, getting quite a bit of views on YouTube. Um, also, they are working on it in a way that has not been seen before. I mean, there's not many uh, white papers written on this project. Uh, not much research because the data is tough to get to. And they'll explain to you what the idea was and they'll explain to you, um, you know, what they did you know, to get to um, the information and some of the technology behind it. And, and at the end, you know, what's the end result and how is this could be useful? So guys, introduce yourselves and then um, let's talk. Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm Jack Dean, uh, second year MFE student and uh, one of the algorithmic sports trading uh, researchers along with uh, my colleagues, Michael Nelson and Jack, who um, I'm sure want to introduce yourselves as well. Yeah, I'm Jack Gill, uh, also a, a uh, my last year at the, in the Masters of Financial Engineering program, and uh, mostly uh, am responsible for maintaining the data, doing that, the data engineering sort of stuff on that side of the project. Yeah, and, and I'm Michael Nelson, I'm, as well as Jack and Jack, I'm also my final year in the MFE program at Lehigh, uh, I did my undergrad in math at, at UVM, um, and I've kind of floated all over the place in this project. Okay, so what are you guys trying to do? Well, uh, it started with a, a simple question that I posed to uh, some of the other uh, financial engineering students, and it was, uh, well, hey, Sports gambling is legal in the U.S. recently. Uh, every single sports book is online. Can we algo trade it? Like, can we write an algorithm and try and systematically take positions in sports gambling using some methodology and create a return? It was where the idea started. Um, and from there, it kind of morphed into, okay, like, what would this strategy be? What would it look like? And what we kind of came up with was in the extremely illiquid markets of sports, sports gambling, right? So not your like over-unders or your uh, point spreads on games. So the entire game as a whole market, when you get into the more illiquid markets as in what, what is known as player props, but essentially it's betting on an individual player statistics, there's a lot of mispricing between books. So to think about Taking a step back to understand that, we have to understand market structure. Unlike, say, an equity market where anyone can make or take a market, if you will, um, you can only take a market in sports gambling and the sports book makes the market. But the way they make the market, the way you can understand it is there's a very wide bid-ask spread on it, right? And that's what their, their reasoning for being in the market at all is because they have the edge as the sports book. So to go and enter this market and just take single positions would make no sense because there's always edge in favor of the sports book. So we had to find a way of saying, okay, can we enter these markets where the books are disagreeing with each other? So there's different edges in different places. 
and try and put the positions together so that we could bring the edge to us by canceling the, t- the edge on the other two books, essentially, um, to take it out. If that, that's kind of how we thought about it. And we came up with a couple of ideas on how to so do that. So before you go any further on that, so basically what you're saying is bid and ask spreads huge. You're not here to, to decide which team is best or, or not. That's not your, no. because you're going to be taken advantage of anyway because of the bid and ask spread, unless you're really right. So you're trying to basically arbitrage, look for weakness in the system, or at least. Um, right. Yeah. Arbitrage is a very fitting word for certain parts. It's not yeah. as fitting for others. It's more of combined. Um, it, it, it's very similar to options trading and, and option spreads. Uh, then I would say to like pure arbitrage, but um, we think we you can think of some of it as as an arbitrage. Yes. Yeah. yeah and the, to kind of go off of that, the thinking was so many people in these markets are trying to beat the books. They think that they can predict better than the books. And the fact of the matter is, it's extremely, extremely difficult to do that. So we twisted that idea to be the books are very, very good. We're not going to beat the books. So what if we put the books up against each other rather than us trying to us trying to be the ones who are um, coming up with that edge? And so that's how kind of the idea came about to hedge the books against each other. And that's definitely okay. where the closest um, allusion to, to kind of traditional arbitrage, you can think about it in terms of taking positions between different books on opposite ends, opposite sides of the spread. So, so you 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 you're not a player. You just you you just to, to to beat the game at its own game. So, how did you go about doing that? Well, so the first step was actually yeah. we just wanted to test it manually to see if this was even a viable strategy. Because the issue, and and we'll talk about this more later, is there's no there's no databases of um, like large accessible numbers of past of past options, past potential bets. So. The first thing before we before we tackled that problem was to see if there was a viable strategy. So what we did is we manually went through for a couple of weeks and we we looked to see if there were potential options that would or potential windows as we call them where we could hedge the two books against each other, where to see if it's even a viable enough strategy to explore further. And what we found is um, that there were a significant enough number of potential windows that this is something that we wanted to. Um, to take to the next step. So then the next step was, was coming up with the data to, to test it on a large scale. So you have no data, as Michael just mentioned. Well, which we is have an issue that on most projects, right? Well, we have, have data to create, now. You have to create data, but now you have it, right? right. Jack? We create. We had to create it precisely, um, and that's that. That was a a big one of the biggest challenges overall uh, with this project. So we operated using a, a third party site that um, aggregated different books and the lines for each player <clears throat> and aggregated about five different uh, popular books like DraftKings, PointsBet, uh, Caesar's Palace, et cetera. And, um, and then we could go in and we could look at the NFL and the um, NBA and look at all of the different props between those things. And when, and when we say prop, we're talking about a specific player stat jack do you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah so essentially 
take, you know, LeBron James points in a basketball game, books will make a market on what this is going to be. And they always, they set it in, in what we call American odds. So they'll, they'll set a line and they'll give you odds on either side. So LeBron James points, they'll set the market at, let's say 22 and a half over under. So they're giving every person that has an account with their book, the option to bet over or under 22 and a half points for LeBron James. And then they'll say, okay, your odds are minus 110, minus 110. What does that mean? Well, American odds are quoted in such a way that you really have to love, really want to have to gamble to like learn how to like how it works. Essentially what a minus 110 would mean is if you put in $110 on the bet and it hits, you'd get $100 back. Um, if the odds were plus 110 and you put $100 in, you would get $110 back. So that was a, a data engineering problem we had in there is, is pricing is converting these odds into things that we could understand uh, systematically, but that's how it would work. And then let's say that DraftKings were to price it at 22 and a half. We could have another book price it at, let's say, 25 and a half. And they always price it at half a point because or generally price it at half a point because they don't want to have pushes. They want you to bet over or under the, the number. They don't want the exact number to hit. And the best way to do that is to have half a point. You can't score half a point in basketball, for instance. And then the idea is we would take the 22 and a half line. We take the over. And then we take the 25 and a half line and we take the under. And then what we've done is we've hedged out the tails of that point distribution. If you think of all possible points as a distribution, right? The tails of it are, are hedged against each other because the over is working against the under if it misses and the under is working against the over if it misses. And then between 22 and a half and 25 and a half or 23 and 25, we have all of a sudden created extra, um, a, a multiplied return, right? So we have our, our hedge, our, our tail risk hedged and in the middle, we have a, a multiplied return. This is mimicking a, a short strangle or a long butterfly and options trading, more like a long butterfly because you have the hedges, the, the tails hedged down. Um, and it's kind of a, it's the best way to think of it is a short vol strategy. We're essentially saying there's the, the volatility of points is going to be captured between that. Um, and that's, that's essentially the idea of what we, what is known in industry is middling. Um, but to us, it was quite simply just a butterfly spread. So Jack so, Dean, to, to make sure you understand, so you're basically taking both sides of the trade. Correct. Yes. I mean, it's a hedge the, trade. Yeah. Correct. So we, we would make, we'd, we take two legs on a trade in, in this case, and we're working against the other leg. Uh, so our, our tail risk is hedged. And then where we want to get a return, there's, a, a massive multiple multiplicative return and uh michael or, or jack what, what like if we were to put a dollar on it and let's just say the odds were 110 what does that look like payoff wise like i know you guys know these numbers a little bit more concrete than me yeah um, so there's probably it's a much higher chance that it's going to miss that that middle spread um the chance of hitting the middle spread is probably around five to 10% depending on, on, uh, depending on what, what the actual underlying statistic is. Um, so th the goal is essentially is the, the return times the, the chance of that middle spread 
is that um, greater than um, how much you lose if you only, if it doesn't land between the windows times the chance it doesn't hit. Um, so it, it comes out to the, it, it's about five to 10% compared to 90 to 95% on hit or miss, but the returns are so much greater on the hit because you're winning both bets. That sounds a lot what um, Mark uh, Spitznagel, I mean, the hedge fund, uh, uh, was basically advocating for that slim hedging, you know, through derivatives will, you know, instead of having a 60%, 60% stocks and 40% bonds, he's saying 60 stocks or, or 55 stocks, 50, uh, 45 bonds, and then maybe like a sliver of, so then when that event hits, the, mul the multiply effect, you know, well paid for that potential risk. That's, but in the meantime, you totally hedged. Right, exactly. A, it, it would be, thinking, thinking of it that way, it would be like a leaps trade in options where it's like, there, there, there's some probability thing that we don't think is priced correctly that we can capture. Uh, like right. like the, the, the guys in, um, the brownfield fund and the and the big short were, were big guys on on doing this where they were like in this in in that case they were taking credit default swaps and they were saying this isn't priced correctly there's so much th this this probability event of this happening is so much greater than everyone thinks it is so we need to take this because the ev or the edge as as a trader would call it is huge as essentially kind of what we're doing in this is we're looking for where there's edge based on how we've decided the chance of something hitting or missing is, which is a whole nother, a whole nother can of worms. But I think more importantly, before we got to that, we needed to figure out how we could even, you know, understand this market as a whole. And I think, I, and, and that was a big part of, of what Jack did. And, and that's something that, you know, it's really interesting to hear about because there was no data on this prior to that we had access to prior to us looking at this. And, and Jack built out an entire system that, uh, I'm sure he would love to go into. Oh, Jack, Joe, why don't you, Jack, Joe, why don't you tell us a bit how you went about it, and also some of the technical did you use yeah. to do it as well? Yeah, of course. So, I built this primarily uh, using Python uh, and some of the some of the Python packages that uh, that are already exist in the open source ones, like Beautiful Soup, in order to help scrape the the HTML and the, the JavaScript from the from the website, um, <clears throat> and you know, we utilized a variety of different uh, analytical, uh, additional analytical packages in Python as we went, but primarily using pandas for the data management. And once it would get, once we would get the HTML uh, fully parsed correctly and made, making sure that all of the, all the data lined up to the right people with the right books. And so I'm looking at some of the stuff now, and I think it can be a little bit helpful as well to, to sort of hear what it, what it sounds like, because it, it, it's easy to get lost in, in all of the, the terminology and stuff. So when we're taking, when we, when we make a position, it's a, it's a synthetic position essentially, and we have those two sides like we've talked about. And so we're gonna have the uh, low over and the, uh, we're gonna take the low over and the high under which means that you're basically guaranteed a payout, right? That's the hedge that we've been talking about. So a payout might range from if you, if you only get one, one uh, side of the, the line, the payout might range from 0.8 cents because we, we split it between the, a dollar. 
So, so your payout might range between uh, about 0.8 cents to, to, to even upwards of a dollar if, if you happen to find plus odds, which, is, which would be a juiced uh, spread situation, but that's not super important. So what we, what, what's been really helpful about, or really good about the system that, that we've built here is that we, not only do we scrape all of this and we price it in real time and we filter out all the lines and, and, and basically create these synthetic positions, we use some probability later down the line to price it and, and uh, come up with that, the EV that we use to, to make the decision. But before even doing all that, we, we pipe off the data and save it separately. So we have this growing, um, pretty big database of several months worth of, of just the pure line information. And there's some really interesting insights that you can gain from that in addition to looking at the spreads, particularly with the way that the, the odds, which determine the price, right? So essentially then the price, the way that the price moves throughout the, throughout the time that, that the line is posted um, and, and kind of what the convergence looks like to game time um, as, as, as we approach game time, that is. And you see much more unpredictable um, kind of surprising behavior actually as you get close, which is, which is pretty interesting and um, <laughs> hard to say what, what we uh, can really do with that just yet, but, but we're looking into it. So what's next then? Uh, now that you have the data, and that, did you did you come up with any type of conclusions yet? So I think the next thing we had to, we, you know, once we had figured out that we could collect the data was, okay, what positions do we take? What positions do we not take? How do we know these are good trades? Like that, all that, because you can't really understand the underlying. It's not like when you're trading an option, you can see how the stock's moving and you can have a price target on the stock. And then based on that, you can have a price target on the option. Right. Um, and we don't get to see volatility either, which is right. Right. So it became, okay, how do we determine what's a good trade? And we had to come up with some way of valuing the positions, which was, uh, an interesting, an interesting time because if you ever looked at a distribution of a player's performance over time, it's never going to fit a pure probability distribution that's easy to understand. So, for instance, if you're looking at a rookie in the NFL and it's week four, you only have four data points to work off of, right? But if you're going to use, you know, pure statistics, a sufficiently large sample size by convention is 30 or greater, right? So, how do you price that? That's part of the question. So what we decided to do was to say, okay, we're going to test it against whatever other distribution, right? Using statistical testing. And we're not going to worry about this, you know, what 5% significance level, that's typically the convention. If, if you were doing the pure statistics, we're just going to say, okay, we're just going to take the best one of these, no matter how bad it is. And then we're going to look at it, right? And that was the best way we could approximate what we could come up with. And what we found was by doing that, if you pick the right distribution on those criteria, you can generally create some return. Um, the question is how much edge you require based on the way you've calculated it. So let's say that we pick a distribution on something and let's just say we, 
call it a, a, a uniform distribution. So we're saying it's a flat line over the total points they could score, right? We can calculate the probability of something hitting because it's the height of the line times the width of the uh, of the spread or the window, as as uh, Michael as as we've been referring to it, uh, as Michael mentioned earlier. Um, then you have a, a a probability of it hitting, and then you have a probability of it missing based on that distribution that you fit, right? And then you can calculate your edge on. So if we put in a dollar and we have an edge of one dot oh three then we have a three cent edge, right? Now, typically, if you are looking at, you know, placing a bet, you would want to take a three cent edge, right? Any, any edge you always want to take. Problem with this is because the distribution is so like hand wavy in, in fitting, that's not always the best way to do it. So what we did was we, we tested it against uh, the basketball season past year. And we said, okay, if we require how, if, if there's this much edge required, what's the sharp look like on the strategy, right? And we found that as you required more and more edge, the sharp started to increase more and more. We also found that the number of positions that existed started to drop. So there's a, a bit of a balancing act there that we're still trying to understand and how we're going to proceed with. Um, but we found that as you can require, if, if you are able to require more edge, there's definitely going to be more return. Uh, so as it's priced, when, whenever there's a, a massive edge priced, it's the probability of that, the way we've priced the probability is more likely to be correct. Uh, and that's generally because the width of whatever we're looking at is just, is significantly wider than say a, a one point window. So that's, the next, the next question of this is be what is the optimal edge to take, and uh, in, in how you're you're looking at this. If that answers your question. Great. So there's no, so there's no instrument yet that is able to do that. So you're basically creating it with your traits, right? You're taking it. Yeah, our, our system creates it. Yes, precisely. And we could scale it and kind of look and at at the how to change it and upgrade it based on our system. And, and, you know, there's not at least something that's open source available to the public uh, that, that allows you to do that. And so my vision uh, going forward, because if you, you know, you can kind of hear that there's, there's a lot of different aspects to this. And, you know, Jack talked about how we could look at tweaking edge required, and that's kind of an, an easy way for us to, to tweak risk and, and think about that. But if you, as Jack built up to that, you also heard like there's a lot of there's there there is a ton of levers and knobs that can be moved along the way in terms of what the the period of uh, time of the of the player's uh, past performance that you would look at you know or maybe you want to filter out if they didn't play for basketball maybe they didn't play five minutes uh, they they didn't play more than five minutes of these games so you drop those and and so my vision basically what I'm saying is that because there's so many of these different knobs that you could twist to get uh, slightly different results, different estimations. I think that uh, machine learning, throwing on probably like a neural net at it, neural network at it would probably be, be a lead to some pretty interesting insight. Yeah, and, and what's great is it's actually our data sets kind of set up already in that way, because, you know, we don't have the, what we would compare against, uh, would be 
the the actual outcome of the game and, and, and I don't have we don't have that necessarily saved into everything we have a system for for checking after each after a day of, of positions have been taken we have Michael, a, 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 yeah I was just going to say I think I think the what's great is our initial framework that we have going right now is 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 fantastic in the sense that um, we have a lot of data built up um, but it's fairly it can be transitioned or changed pretty easily. So along with maybe improving the accuracy as, as Jack Joe was just alluding to there, I think another avenue that we could potentially explore in the future is um, expanding the marketplace that we're looking at because there's only so many props that we're, that we're finding in the NBA prop market. Um, and, and that kind of touches on Jack Dean's question of, of like when, of the numbers of, of options available to take and how that, how that becomes an issue when it, uh, when it comes to the sharp ratio. So what we can do is we can kind of transition our current system to other sports, other markets. So the NFL prop market is something that we're exploring as well. Um, there's, there's so many, you can bet on everything these days. I mean, there's, there's so many potential avenues and then it just becomes a question of, again, where do we get that data? How do we how do we go about exploring it? But the point is, this is this idea is very transitionable to other um, similar markets. And then the, the question also becomes, what if we expand beyond? Like there, there's multiple ways to make these trades. Like obviously, right now we're looking at exclusively U.S. sports books, and the the regulations are set up significantly in favor of U.S. sports books. What if we expanded to, say, a European book where they're not as catering to the book? They actually have things called a betting exchange. So you can you're no longer the, always the market taker. You can make the market as well. So then could you put one trade on somewhere and then put another trade on in another market where, you know, you have a little bit more control? Can you control what you're trying to take or make with that? And you know, there, there's many different ways to look at it. Well, we, we've exclusively focused on uh, U.S. books. But yeah, so the, the next questions would be, you know, what are the new strategies we can do? Are there better ways we can decide what positions to take? Um, and just overall, like what like what are the ways to diversify the portfolio that we're looking at? Because right now we have we've explained middling pretty well there's one other strategy that we know of um that we have a, a pretty good understanding of but are there other strategies are there in-game in-game hedges you could make and and that kind of thing and you know like you hear about it from from you know your friends that you know sports gamble and you're like oh okay that's interesting and they like lay it out for it and you're like maybe there's something there maybe there isn't who knows um but that's kind of what the way we've been looking at it is is, is very focused on this select market, but you know the next question is how can we better optimize the market we're in, and then are there other markets that we aren't even seeing uh, at this point? So, do you think that at some point, um, you know, as this thing develops, maybe other people think about it, and and it becomes there's something to be had that 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 someone will come up with a with a product. I mean, obviously, a lot of the the spreads are going to disappear. Right. In that case, but but they will make it a much bigger. It will make it something. 
I have nothing. Do you think that this this could be a a derivatives that could be created to to do this thing as opposed to that 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 would be fun because if you think about it, a, a, a sports gambling position is a derivative in itself. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about derivative squared and, you know, like I think, you know, a lot of people have, have a very negative opinion of derivative. I think they're super cool, but uh, just because they get infinitely more complex and harder to understand, but that's also a reason a lot of people dislike them. Uh, I, that's, I'm not going to say the market doesn't exist, uh, but you also need to have people that understand them. Um, I guess the closest thing we'd have to that is a parlay at this point. But Jack, yeah. I don't know if you had a comment. Well, I, I just wanted to say that I think there's something interesting necessarily about these markets that makes that necessarily makes them uh, like inefficient. And when we have inefficient markets, obviously we have opportunity and and, and room for profit. And what I mean by that is. The way that, and we know this, the way that sports books primarily will come up with the, the line that they set, when Jack earlier example, LeBron James points at 22 and a half, they arrive at that via a Monte Carlo simulation almost across the board. Um, it's pretty standard industry uh, practice. So you can see how there's some variability that might arise just in them setting that, like the individual books deciding on these lines. Now they can look at each other and, and move them as they want, but what what happens and and what happens is and the reason and one of the big reasons why um, you see so many so many movements in the odds that I was talking about earlier is because the the books need to hedge the the positions themselves so they will then move the line to to give a better payout uh, basically a better price to this this position they'll 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 give you a better price on it to try to get you to take it even though they believe it's less likely to occur even still. Um, and, and they, and so, you know, if you can combine that with the taking the other position and hedging out some of the risk that is obviously created by that, but getting a better potential payout or a better price, then that's kind of, that's what's happening there. That, 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 that is what is, is particularly, I think, unique about this market and why even if there was a product, it, it, there may be less variability, less inefficiency, but it's, there's always going to be an aspect of that. People, people okay. bet on emotion is, yeah. is what happens there. Okay, guys. Well, this was good. Um, uh, let's uh, have you back uh, towards the end of the semester when uh, get some um, results and maybe some different and see what uh, you guys took this. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, Michael Nexon, Jack Jill, and Jack Dean. Again, thank you, guys. Thanks thank you for having us. Thanks. Take care.